0: I was pastoring, you know, they never let me touch anything to do with technology. They just kept me totally away from it because of that very reason right there. So thanks, guys, for that. Uh, I hope you're filled with hope today, and I hope you're filled with hope for your church. Uh, I have a really expectant hope uh, for your church. I think the, the days ahead are going to be great days for your church. Do you believe that? Yeah, I hope you do. I really do hope you believe that. If not, you should probably be at Denny's this morning or something like that. Uh, instead of here. But I really sense that God has something in store for you. And so I want to talk to you this morning about a hope-filled future. I want to begin with a story. Uh, I am terrible at math. Really dislike math. God bless you. God bless you. So when I in our school, like really smart. Why he had me as a best friend, I have no idea. But anyways, I would hang out with Dave and in math class, whenever there was a test, I'd sit next to Dave. Now, I'm not suggesting this. I'm just telling you about history, okay? And so I could look over at Dave, and I could do this, and Dave would, you know, he'd look over, oh, and he get... And then we got to high school. And in high school, they start asking these questions, and they go like this. A man gets in a car in Halifax, Nova Scotia, driving west at 100 kilometers an hour. And a train leaves Windsor, Ontario, driving east at 50 kilometers an hour. Please calculate the cost of a cheeseburger in Peterborough. And you've got to figure it out somehow. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world? How am I going to figure that out, right? But there's another little wrinkle, because by the time you get to high school, not only do they want the answer... But they put three little words in there. Does anybody know what those three little words are? Show your work. Show your I didn't know what to do. Should I write? Please see Dave's paper? Well, you know, I don't have any work. You know, if you're a Christ follower today, one day will come where you will stand before King Jesus. And he will say to you, show your work. One day, Grace Community Church will show its work. What God has called you to be and to do collectively, you will stand before Jesus and you will show your work. And if you want to have work that is meaningful and leaves a legacy, that means a hope-filled future means you empty your future of self. That's how, you, that's how you become hope-filled. Is it's actually counterintuitive. You empty your future of self. Uh, Charles uh, T. Studd, you may know that name. He was a wealthy British cricket player. He came from an extremely wealthy British family. And the world was his. He went to Cambridge. He was educated there. World-class cricket player. He had a life of privilege and a life of uh, carefree. And he came to Christ and he said, I'm going to empty my life of myself because I want my hope to be in Christ alone. And out of that experience, he wrote a little statement that you likely will recognize when I read it. It's kind of a compendium on the Christian life. He wrote this. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, and so I want to focus this morning on a man from the first century who was filled with hope, in spite of what he was up against. And uh, if you were at a first-century university lecture, and somebody was to say, hey, "I want to talk about somebody who's going to leave a great legacy," uh, you might immediately in your mind go to a guy named Nero, and he was a big deal in the first century. He Built these great amphitheaters, and he was a promoter of elite athletics. He was an actor, a poet, a musician, very capable guy. He was heralded amongst the working class. He was kind of worshipped, but he's not the one I want to talk about. I want to talk to you this morning about Saul of Tarsus, or the Apostle Paul. And what's interesting is the Apostle Paul and Emperor Nero's lives overlapped in the city of Rome in the first century. They lived together there, and Nero was the public's hero, and Paul was basically a nobody. Some of our history writers tell us that he was just a stoop-shouldered, cloudy-eyed old man. Now, Nero, wow, he was something else. Nero was married to Popeia Sabina, a blonde, head-turning beauty who bathed herself in donkey milk. 400 donkeys were kept on hand just for that. She would be dried with swan feathers and massaged with crocodile mucus. Well, if you haven't tried it, don't knock it. I mean, in fairness, right? (laughs) Because Nero liked soft skin, and whatever Nero wanted, Nero got. At age 25, Nero deified himself by erecting a 120-foot-tall statue of himself so people would literally look up to him. But nobody paid any attention to Paul. He was nothing to look at, thin-haired, crooked in the legs, a poor state of body, eyebrows joining, first unibrow was the Apostle Paul, nose somewhat hooked, but that's who we're going to talk about. Open your Bibles if you have your Bible there on your phone or however you have it, and I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. This is Paul writing to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. This is the last record that we have of of Paul's written communication to Timothy, and he's basically handing a hope-filled torch of faith to Timothy. And so beginning at verse 1, hear the word of the Lord, 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul has a deep personal connect with this young man. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, Through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And then verse 8 opens with this word. Therefore, so because of this, I want to hand you a hope-filled future. Here's what he says. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy's directed to a couple of loyalties here, to Christ and his gospel and to Paul and and loyalty to his own ministry. The power of the Holy Spirit will produce a strength in him that will carry him through suffering. And I want you to know, we want to state the obvious this morning, that a hope-filled future is going to be filled with obstacles. Our message is becoming less and less tolerated in the culture in which we live. And so there's resistance and pushback. Our message has challenges, and we must acknowledge that. But the only way you can embrace those challenges is when you reject fearfulness. And Paul rejected fearfulness. You saw in verse 7, right? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a strong mind or sound mind. Good thinking. Fear and challenges combined bring personal suffering. And Paul was having to embrace one. He's embracing the suffering, and he's rejecting the fear that can come with it. Some think that suffering as a Christian is embarrassing, right? can make you ashamed of the gospel, and Timothy is watching Paul to see what Paul will do with his suffering. And I'd suggest to you this morning, friends, that those who come behind you, your kids and your grandkids, they're going to watch you and see how you embrace the gospel and what that looks like when you find yourself resisted in the culture in which we live. But when I think of Jesus, how could we be ashamed of Jesus? Amen? Two of you think we can't be ashamed of Jesus. Good. Good. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's the Passover lamb. He's the prophet greater than Moses. He's the heir to the throne of David, and he's the good shepherd. He's the baby of the virgin Mary. He's Herod's enemy, but he's Simeon's great joy. He's the beloved baptized son, and he's the healer of the blind, and the provider of the hungry, and the friend of the downtrodden. He's the source of living water and the bread of life. He's the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is our ascended savior. He's God in the flesh who dwelt among us and laid down his life for you and for me. How could we be ashamed of Jesus? Amen? Amen. Amen. And then we get to verse number nine. Paul writes that this Jesus saved us and called us to a holy calling. To a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. A hope-filled future is going to require that we live out a holy life, a holy calling. This is a countercultural way to live, not isolationist. There's some people that think as Christians in the world in which we live now, because the culture is resistant. To the message that we should therefore isolate ourselves and extract ourselves and live sort of monastic type living. But no, we're called to live counterculturally. In fact, Jesus prays in the upper room that his disciples be in the world but not of the world. To live counterculturally. Let me ask you this this morning, friends how is your life set apart? How is your life radically and irresistibly different from those around you? If your life is largely similar to your neighbors, your co-workers, those people who consider themselves far from God, then they have nothing to compare to, and your life will have difficulty in making impact. And this is done winsomely, but it's done deliberately. Jesus gave us the model, and Rob, you talked about it this morning when you talked about those grocery gift cards. In the same way, let your light shine before others So that they may see your good works and give glory to who? To your Father who is in heaven. So we live out the light of the gospel, this holy calling. Uh, I'm I'm concerned. I'm in the midst of reading an interesting book. It's uh, called I Generation. It's a book by a psychologist named uh, Jean Twin. She's the foremost world expert on what it means to be raised in a digital culture very interesting book if you're concerned about your kids and digital culture profoundly she's not a believer but she's written this book and talks about if you have been born after 1990 you have not lived any of your life apart from the internet you've lived a wired existence and so how that is reshaping the brain of the next generation And when you think of the next generation, if they're spending an hour or two a week in religious instruction or in church or whatever that looks like, and they're spending three or four hours a day on their phone, you can see that we're outgunned. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we calibrating our conscience to? Are we calibrating our conscience to the culture or are we calibrating our conscience to the word of God? Because those are radically different realities. Uh, I, I'm concerned, too, because uh, I talk to people, and they, they tell me about things, and I'll say, oh, that's interesting. Where did, where did you get that from? Oh, I got that from an influencer. Do you know there's influencers, and you, you don't have any substance or any uh, capacity or ability, but you can be an influencer, Right? And, and people are listening and taking heed escaping their thinking around influencers. Uh, people that have no platform from which to speak other than their notoriety or their fame. But they may have no substance to their argument or whatever, but they're influencing people. There's actually a Greek word for it. Did you know that? If, when there's no substance, but there's influence and people are rethinking, there's a Greek word for it. The word's Kardashian. Uh, it's a Greek word. to live a holy life a life that's set apart calibrated to regardless of how popular or in our case in many regards unpopular that is and it's not because of our greatness did you notice that in the verse it's not because of anything we've done it's because God has extended his grace to us and then we go to verse number 10 And which now has been manifested, this holy calling, this reality we've been called to, through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And look at this. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If you want to live a hope-filled future, that means you need to have an eternal perspective. You've got one eye on eternity. If you're living... For the success of the immediate, immediate, you're going to be woefully disappointed. Uh, When I finished pastoring, I thought one of the things I would be doing a lot less of was funerals. Now, if I had my choice, I'd much rather do a funeral than a wedding. Um, But uh, I thought I'll I'll be free of funerals to some regard. In the first six months of 2022, last year, I did 10 funerals. Some of them I never would expected to have done. One funeral was a mom who I've known since high school who struggled with mental health issues for the last several years. And those only got significantly uh, worse through COVID. And she succumbed to her own mental health issues and took her own life last uh, April, five kids. You can imagine what it was like to do that funeral. 1,300 people at the funeral. Two of her kids are well-known country and western music stars. And I can tell you the only thing that gave us any hope in the midst of an unexplainable, immense tragedy was the fact that we are looking towards eternity. Amen? That the reality is Christ has brought death, Ab- abolished death and brought immortality to life. And we have to live that way. If we're looking for the reality of what this world has to offer, th- then we're going to find ourselves disappointed beyond measure. And, and if you live in this life and, and you're looking at the successes of this life, then you know what happens? You will get intoxicated by those. Uh, Or you won't be able to keep perspective if you look at all of the disappointments and all the valleys of this life, because those will destroy you. And so you fix your gaze on eternity. That this world is not our home, is it? Not ultimately, it's not our home. Verse number 11, Paul says this to Timothy. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. A hope filled future, friends, means that you have to fill your role. You know how Grace Community Church will get better? If you do your part. You know, I, I deal with churches who are in pastoral search all the time, right? Now, churches that are looking for lead pastors. They range from churches that are about 125 to the biggest ones about 1,100. Everything sort of in between. Tell all of those churches and I tell you that you're looking for a not a savior. Right? Because any pastor you bring here, guess what? He's going to have feet of clay. He's going to be a guy that wants to serve you and bless you and loves the Lord and wants to lead here, but he's not going to have it all. Amen? He's going to have shortcomings, and he's going to have areas where he's strong and areas where he's weak. And parts of that body, and so you're called as Paul was. See what he says? I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Appointed. Who appointed Paul to those roles? Who appointed him? It's not a trick question. God did, right? God did. Now, some of you probably don't know this, but I was a kid in Sunday school under John Fairchild's parents. You can't believe I'm that old, can you? (laughs) Okay? And so I I was in the Sunday school of Westside Gospel Chapel. True True. Okay, and I was from a non-family, so I was one of those kids that drove the teachers crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the truth is known, and, and often I would end up from fooling around outside the classroom, in the hallway, and then I would go home on the Sunday school bus. And my parents would say, how was Sunday school? Fine. How was the lesson? And I would say, it was a bit hard to hear (laughs) because I was standing outside. (laughs) But those people, listen, listen, listen. Those people, they loved me. And they put up with me. Parents weren't church people. They could have said, stop coming, kid. But they loved me. They encouraged me. They blessed me. I'm in ministry today. Because of what happened in that little Sunday school at Westside Gospel Chapel. I came to Christ when I was 10 years old in my own backyard at a backyard Bible club. Nobody else in my family was a believer, was a Christian. And you know why those people stuck with me? Because they too felt that they were appointed to be teachers of the kids in that Sunday school. If you want Grace to be a better church, then then you've got to do what Paul told Timothy. Paul says, I, I, God gave me this role. I was appointed to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, right? It's not nominated or coerced. In some churches, you get voluntold. He was appointed by God. What is it for you? What is your unique kingdom-building, sweet spot role that will make a difference in the lives of others and expand the kingdom of God through the work of Grace Community Church? I don't know. But God wants to reveal that to you more than you really even want to know. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Which is why I suffer as I do. And if you get a Steve Adams in Sunday school, you will suffer. But if you're going to move forward, you've got to rise above those current distractions. And the New Testament records the dynamic life and the deep struggles of Paul. Paul had a tumultuous life. In fact, if you read in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, you find out that he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten. He had a tough, tough life, and now he's in prison. And he's in prison not because he's committed a crime, he's in chains for Christ. And yet, even in that reality, the palace guard and the common people on the street understood that he's in prison due to his commitment to the cause of Christ. You know, I'm really convinced I'm really convinced, and I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you this morning that COVID is not wasted time. COVID is a new opportunity. COVID is a new opportunity. Did you think God was surprised by COVID? And I know it's created much division, but we have to rise above that, right? In the years that I've been a pastor, I have had my faith so strengthened by people who have faced immense trials and disappointments and who have suffered, and not of their own doing, and yet they move forward with hope-filled faith, and they strengthen others around them as they move forward, even though their life at times seems tumultuous. Ask God for that kind of strength when your life feels like it may be coming apart. Ask him for that hope filled faith to keep moving forward. Let me ask you again do you believe that grace has hope filled days ahead? Do you believe that? Oh, come on, church. Do you believe that? Yes, Yes, you do. I think there's great days ahead for you. I think God will bring you a gifted, godly pastor that'll lead you and love you and point you towards Jesus. I think you should be incredibly hopeful. But I encourage you, you've got to live that holy life, right? You've got to keep an eye on eternity, and you've got to find your role. Don't worry about the obstacles and the pushback and all that. That's going to be part of it. That's part of the Christian life, this idea that the Christian life is sort of happy and clappy. It's not biblical Christianity. There's challenges. And finally, I want to share this with you. It's maybe the first time in history I've preached for less than my time slot. So I'll just. A hope-filled future means we must finish well. We must finish well. One of the funerals I did last year was for the first missionary of the church that I pastored. Uh, He was 103 years old when he went to see the Lord face-to-face, when his faith became sight. He worked on our staff until he was about 96 or 97, and then he finally retired. Okay, We bought him a, a season's pass at Blue Mountain when he retired. That'll click with some of you at lunch at Swiss L.A., But he was committed to finishing well. You got to finish well. The theme of the Christian life is you write every chapter of your life, you walk with the Lord. Hopefully, you bring glory to God in each of those chapters. Look at verse 12, what Paul says. Now, remember, he's in prison, he's in the departure lounge of life, he's up against the wall. Everything is working against him, humanly speaking. And Paul says this to Timothy. But I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now let me read that from the message, Peterson's translation, the message. He writes this. This is the cause of all this trouble I'm in, but I have no regrets. I couldn't be more sure of my ground. The one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted me to do right to the end. Paul says, I'm staying the course. Yeah, I'm up against the wall. I'm in prison. Everything is looking kind of tough for me, but I am convinced that Jesus has a hold of me, and I have a hold of Jesus, and I am going to finish and finish well. Amen? I just love it when people are committed to that reality. My uh, middle child, uh, our daughter Riley, she lives in Sydney, Australia. And uh, she went down there to go to school, and then this Australian boy married her. <laughs> he loves her, and he loves Jesus, so we're, we're good with it. But uh, one thing that Australians don't know how to do is anything to do with women. Okay? Like, my son-in-law actually owns a company that manufactures surfboards. They sell them all over the world, and surfwear. And uh, so I've been... Get them to move here because I said Lake Ontario, nobody is selling surfboards there. You'd have the market. (laughs) So (laughs) would you be surprised if I told you that the first person to win an Olympic gold medal in speed skating for Australia did it by being the worst skater in the group? Did you know that? Back in uh, 2002, in the Winter Olympics, a guy by the name of Steve Bradbury somehow made it to the finals, although he was the least capable guy, but he made it to the finals of the 1,000-meter short track speed skating event, an Australian. And he was up against the Americans and the Canadians and all these people who played Hockey and a lot of ice skating, and they're good, fast, hard, strong skaters. And Steve Bradbury, he was not the preeminent skater of the gold medal he, by any stretch of the imagination. He wasn't best trained. He wasn't the most athletic. He wasn't the most capable, but he won the gold medal. And I'll tell you how he won it. Because Steve was last place, way out of. And everybody else was in the pack, you know how skaters—they're in the pack, and they're tight together in that short track speed skating. You ever watched it? I mean, they're just kind of glued together. And all of a sudden, two skaters' skates hit, and the whole pack knocked themselves down. And Steve Bradbury comes around, "Hi, right, good day, mates," and he keeps <laughs> going, and he goes around, and he gets the gold medal. You know why I got the gold medal? Because he finished. You got to finish. And here's what's really cool about this. Turn over just a chapter or two to, to chapter four of 2 Timothy. This is, this, is, this is a hope-filled future. Chapter four, look at verse six, if you will. Paul says to Timothy, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have what? Finished, finished the race. Uh, all you got to do is finish, but you got to finish. He says, I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Look at verse 8. Get a hold of this. Therefore, or henceforth, there is laid up me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Did you see that? Now look at. there's a comma. There's a comma. And not only to me, but also to all those at Grace Community Church who have loved his appearing. Did you hear that? King Jesus, one day, you'll stand before him, and if you have finished the race, if you, if you have kept the faith, if you have fought the fight, and you finish, and you show your work, King Jesus says, hey, way to go. And King Jesus puts a gold crown on your head. It's utterly mind-blowing. Can you imagine that day? I can hardly wait, eh, amen? I can hardly, hardly Wait. You know our good friend Nero? At age 29, because he had made his life full of self. And remember I said, if you want a hope-filled future, you empty yourself of yourself. He was paranoid and lonely by 29. His second wife killed his first wife, and Nero kicked his pregnant second wife, and she died. Talk about tough family dynamics. Four years after Paul's death, Nero committed suicide. Nero invested his life in stuff that fed his appetites. And if you invest your life in self, then the pressure for your own successes to make life work will be crushing. He left no legacy. I suppose that's why today parents name their sons Paul and name their dogs Nero. The future's bright. It's filled with hope. Amen. Absolutely, it's filled with hope. Keep on, keeping on. Keep the faith. Be committed to finishing the race. Only one life. It will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will, will last. Let's pray, Father God. Father God, we love you. We want you to hear that this morning from our lips. Lord, may we empty ourselves of ourselves. May we embrace the suffering and the obstacles that come with the Christian life. Reject fear. Not be paralyzed by fear, but mobilized by our faith. May we keep one eye fixed on eternity that this world is not our home. May we keep moving forward. May we find our unique role that you have called us to and make our kingdom contribution and experience your pleasure in doing so. May we live a holy life that's counter to this culture and speaks of a hope that's so radically and irresistibly different. And Father God, may we finish and look forward to that crown of life placed upon us by our King. Father, we long for the day, but may we be found faithful today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. How great.